presenting part two of the full cast audiobook presentation of Dominion, read by the author. Five. It's been two day and night cycles since I was claimed by Darko's Legion. Without any form of identification, they figured me easy pickings. I'm an illegal alien among aliens. Nobody will be looking for me. Except for maybe the Cyclops. But I haven't seen him since Yuck Yucks. Either he's been lying low or has lost interest. Not that it matters. I'm now property of Superbia's Coliseum as of 20 minutes ago. My time as a captive has been difficult. My dragonkin slave masters had a miserable time trying to find anyone willing to buy me. I'm either too small, too weak, hairless, or disturbing to look at. My treatment at their hands hadn't been kind because of it. What little food I was given wasn't fit to be served to a dog, let alone a person. They aren't big believers on a solid eight hours of sleep either. Not that anyone could manage getting that much sleep while crammed in a cage on wheels. Their growing frustration was thick as molasses, unsatisfied with being unable to sell me off, yet not willing to let me go. I sensed they'd sooner kill me than set me free. But down here, in the pens, listening to the roaring stadium full of bloodthirsty spectators above, I once again can't help but feel like I'm dead soon anyway. This entire shit show has been one catastrophe after another. Speaking of shit shows, that's also something I haven't done in a couple of days. The cramps are transcendentally painful. And unfortunately, the leech in my ass has grown so large, I feel like I'm smuggling a dumbbell. I don't walk the same anymore. Combined with the malnutrition, whatever the leech has consumed from my body has left me weakened. To put it mildly, I felt better. The pens are a heavily guarded series of cells located beneath the Colosseum. It's where the battle fodder are kept. Gladiators whose sole purpose is to increase the difficulty of any given challenge. And unlike the low-budget atmosphere from the spaceship, this place is all style and high-end technology. It might look like a Roman amphitheater, but it's fitted to the nines. Each cell is made of reinforced glass walls lit up by glowing LED pathways. Most notable are the posters and portraits of Superbia, no matter which direction you look. He's suited in his golden Iron Man style suit, posing in a power move. I get the sense Superbia might be his own biggest fan. I share my cell with a damaged android and a stocky dwarf resembling a snapping turtle. From what I understand, I was sold for next to nothing. The pens is the only place that would bother taking me since there's always plays for fresh meat. So, tell me, how's your right hook? When was the last time you worked on that footwork? Mendax asks. The sound of his voice sends a surprise jolt through me. Mendax! I say, eyes shifting to those in the cell around me, hoping I wasn't heard. I quiet my voice. You're back! What happened to you? I last heard from Mendax the moment we were taken by Darko's Legion. His smiley face display winked out as if his battery had died. No amount of prodding by me or the dragonkin had any effect on the watch. So they left me with my single possession, believing it to be nothing more than worthless junk. I spent every unsupervised chance I had trying to fix it, if simply for the comfort of companionship. 
None of the other slaves would even look at me, not wanting to risk being treated as poorly as I was. It's what I get for being ugly. I could have really used someone to talk to these last two days. I couldn't risk being identified as something of value, Mendak says. I'll never get my body back if I'm auctioned off to the highest bidder. There's an entire black market dedicated to trapping people's consciousness into devices to sell off as novelty items. I've had stories of poor bastards being uploaded into twisted simulations and subjected to unimaginable horrors. I'd like to avoid that fate. That's unsettling, I say. Were you unconscious? I couldn't figure out how to power you back on. I was conscious. So you just left me to rot in a cage on my own for two days. You could have let me know you were playing possum. It's a little something called self-preservation. I get you're uncomfortable, but you're not the one whose mind is trapped inside a watch. I'm using what little control I have over my situation to protect myself. Still didn't have to be a dick about it. A resounding clang echoes through the pens as heavy gated iron doors swing open against the walls. Captives in several of the cells stand up to get a better look, and others couldn't care less. While my cellmates are of the latter opinion, I can't help myself, so I walk bow-legged over to my cell wall and peer through the reinforced glass. Dressed in business attire with a clipboard in hand, a short, feminine, humanoid-shaped corgi walks head and center before an escort of the same black-armored androids that are everywhere. I've come to refer to them as firm droids. Aw, so cute, I think. She even wobbles her butt a little when she walks in that adorable corgi way. But that's where the cuteness begins and ends. The rest of her is all business. Her judging and analytical gaze would make even the most confident among us shrink away. She passes cell after cell, slowing only when she spots someone of interest, but never for too long. It looks like she's about to pass me by too, but she double takes, notices the watch on my wrist, and seems to think better of it. You. She says, pointing at me. What's wrong with your legs? I, uh, gotta poop. Real bad. She drops her hand to her side. What is your name? Jack. Are you a good boy, Jack? Uh, yes. She nods. Then a firm droid disengages the lock to my cell. The door in the glass slides open. Come, Jack. The corgi says. I am Poppy. You follow me now. Poppy turns without giving me a second glance and walks back down from where she came. The firm droids follow and I fall in behind them, one keeping an eye on me. I glance at my wrist. Mendax is feigning malfunction again. Where are we going? I ask. Her only response is the sound of her heels clicking along the floor as we travel past one cell after another. I can feel their eyes on me, the ones being left behind to die in the arena. I keep my head down and eyes on the floor, hoping I've escaped the gladiator's fate. Once we cross the threshold and the gates to the pens close behind us, Poppy suddenly springs to life in a no-nonsense kind of way. She taps on an earpiece and begins barking orders at someone on the other end. Biscuit? She says. What's the delay on the ceiling mirror mount I keep hearing about? This should have been dealt with yesterday. I'm en route to the VIP lounge as we speak, and so help me, if nobody's taking care of this problem by the time I arrive, I will personally neuter you. She taps her ear. Doodle. She continues, speaking to someone new. What's the status on the peanut butter? They what? Bitches! Send them to the pens, and get me that peanut butter. Won't be the same without it. I glance at the firm droids around me. 
wondering if they feel as awkward about this conversation as I do. So, you gonna throw me a bone and tell me why you pulled me out of there? I ask. Poppy rolls her eyes. We're adding to the cleanup crew now. Why do I not like where this is going? What am I cleaning up? I ask. The aftermath of Suburbia's harem. It gets sticky. Do you always pluck captives from the pens to clean up your peanut butter orgies? Or is it just my lucky day? One man's luck is another's misfortune. Serby had the last cleaner sent to the pens for failing to meet expectations. He later died in the arena. Okay, so if I don't do a good job, I'll end up back where I came from. Cool, cool, cool. No pressure. You're a fast learner. Good boy. When we reach the room I'm designated to sterilize post-peanut butter time, Poppy stops and faces me. You will not speak to Serbia, she says sternly, leaving no room for argument. You will not look at him. I don't even want you to breathe in his general direction. You must, at all times, show proper reverence, and remember, it is by his grace that you are spared a gruesome fate inside the arena. Why are you making that face? Dude, you have no idea how bad I have to shit, I say through stomach cramps. She points at a firm droid. You, take him out to poop, and be quick about it. It's it's not that simple. Unfortunately, you no longer have the privilege of being a shy pooper. Well, that sucks too, I guess. But what I'm saying is a bloated leech is clogging the pipes. She raises a quizzical eyebrow. A purifier? These are typically extracted and disposed of hours after insertion. Why do you still have one occupying space? She looks at me like I've gone one fetish too far. Trust me, I'm not exactly thrilled about it, I say. Poppy nods. Understood. She taps her ear. Doodle, have a premium suppository delivered with the peanut butter. She pauses. Bring the hemorrhoid cream. Her focus returns to me. Considering the size of your situation, the effects will not be immediate, but I can assure you the experience will not be pleasant. Notify security when you're feeling it's happening to avoid making a mess. They'll take you to where you can poop. Um, thank you? I say, trying not to think of the promised pain. Now come, you'll be taken to your post and summoned when it's time. I follow her further down the hall to a small cubby carved into the wall where an empty seat and another dog person with cleaning supplies await me. It's a Boston Terrier in blue coveralls! Sit. Poppy instructs. I want to snap back at her that I'm not a dog, but it feels kind of racist. Best to bite my tongue and roll with it. Better off in here than in the arena. I take a seat next to the Boston Terrier, who nods at me. He's got a good boy star pinned on his uniform. I've always had a weakness for dog with big lips. They're just so dang cute. All flappy face and adorable. If I weren't racked with stomach cramps, I might be gushing right now. Looks like we're stuck with cleanup duty, eh? I say. Are you kidding me? He says, looking at me like I have two heads. It's peanut butter. Wait, you're going to eat it? Aren't they using it for their orgy? Dude, you did hear me say it's peanut butter, right? We sit in silence for a while. A slow trickle of dog people walk past, either bringing us supplies or showing up as guests. Nobody pays us any mind. I've checked on Mendax twice since I sat, but he's still playing dead. Dogs are known to have more sensitive hearing. He likely doesn't want to take any chances. What's your name? I ask. Frankie, he says, 
His tail wags where it pokes out from the back of his coveralls. Nice to meet you, Frankie. I'm Jack. Nice pin. Where'd you get it? He looks down at his good boy star on his chest and beams. They give it to you out of rehab. I'm working on being less impulsive. Oh yeah? Good on you. Thanks. You've been working here long? Anything you can tell me about Superbia? Frankie's face lights up at the mention of the name, his tail wagging faster. Superbia's the best! He's never been defeated in the arena. He's unbeatable. Probably wouldn't be much without that fancy suit. Frankie's big lips pull up in a sneer and he growls at me. I raise my hands, palms out. All right, all right. I take it back. Jeez. We sit in silence some more. More dog people walk past now. A steady flow of horned dogs assembling to become every furry's fantasy. An anthropomorphic sexual nightmare. From the corner of my eye, I notice Frankie twitching more frequently. His nose seems to have caught the scent of something. Whatever it is, makes his mouth water. The peanut butter, I think. As soon as the thought crosses my mind, the answer rolls past in self-driving wagons led by a humanoid golden labradoodle. Stacks upon stacks of peanut butter containers are being shepherded to the VIP lounge. The labradoodle hits the brakes when she comes flush with me. I'm Doodle, she says with a smile, wagging her tail. This is for you. <laughs> she hands me a prescription bag. So, I just, like, stick it up my butt? I ask. Unlike Poppy, Doodle's expression is completely judgment-free. Her smile is warm and friendly, like she's glad to help. Are corgis dicks? I've seen enough internet videos to say otherwise, but who knows? Then again, I gotta remember, these aren't actual dogs. They're aliens that look like a mad scientist's crowning achievement. I love it! Just stick it up your butt, she says, nodding her head. I recommend getting it done as soon as possible to avoid further growth if you want to spare yourself more pain. Good luck! With that, she hops back onto her wagon full of peanut butter and continues down the hallway. I check the bag and stiffen. It's a pill the size of my thumb! I take it out to inspect it more closely. It's gonna be like shoving a tampon up there. Well, maybe I won't feel it considering what's already inside. Frankie gives me a sidelong glance. Growth? Did I hear that right? What the hell you got up there? A leech, I say, not really wanting to elaborate further. Damn, well that explains the funny walk. I had a cousin who forgot to take his out. He wasn't so lucky though. No access to meds, right? Goddamn purifier ate him from the inside out. Fuck that. I pull my pants down on the spot and shove the suppository up my ass in a single continuous motion. I wince, but I take it like a champ. Dude! Frankie says, face scrunched with disgust. As they say, there's no better time than the present, I say, pulling my pants up and seating myself gingerly. No turning back now. I just wish I knew when I could expect it to work. I hate being kept in suspense. It's not long before I hear the party getting started. I can feel the beat of the music as it vibrates through the walls. Then, the howling begins. I shudder at the thought of what's being done with all that peanut butter. But unlike me, the look on Frankie's face says he feels otherwise. His eyebrows knit with longing, his eyes betraying desire. He squirms in his seat, 
obviously struggling against some primal need. I can't tell whether it's the horny females or the peanut butter he's responding to. You gonna be alright there, buddy? I say. You're looking pretty antsy. Frankie rocks gently back and forth in his seat, anxiously grasping the edges of the chair. He looks on the verge of wigging out. His lips move, but I can't make out what he's saying. You okay? I ask, worry setting in. Good boy. I'm a good boy. His voice slowly rises in volume as he speaks, getting crazier the longer he talks. I don't want to be a bad boy again. I can't. But peanut butter. No, I can't. I can't be a bad boy again. But peanut butter. No, no, not again. I'm a good boy. Then, wild-eyed in a burst of manic energy, he jumps up from his seat and howls, And good boys get peanut butter! He kicks over the cart of cleaning supplies and takes off in a sprint towards the VIP lounge. Frankie, wait! I say, rising to stop him. But he doesn't hear me or doesn't care. His lizard brain has been activated and it'll take more than words to reach him now. Before they have time to register the situation, Frankie knocks down two firm droids before assailing the door. Which makes for shitty security if you ask me, but what do I know? I chase after him, running like I'm carrying bowling balls for testicles. It's also incredibly draining considering what little nourishment I've been given these last two days. With more power than I thought capable of, Frankie kicks the door open and takes in the view. I'm not close enough to see what exactly he's looking at, but he's salivating like he's laid eyes on the Mona Lisa of bacon double cheeseburgers. He charges in, and I follow. When I reach the door, I'm faced with an image that'll unfortunately be forever burned into my mind. It really is a furry peanut butter orgy. I mean, I already knew it was, but seeing it firsthand is a new level of fucked up. If I make it off this space station alive, the amount of therapy I'll need will be able to finance my therapist's house. Dozens, and I mean dozens, of real-life furries crowd around a throne-like satin couch mounted on a central dais. They shout in fear at the dramatic entrance, their faces and genitals sticky and brown. I spot Poppy from the side of the room, removing her hand from a mounted golden power suit. She doesn't look surprised when she sees me, could even be smiling, it's hard to tell. A naked, golden man sits propped up lazily atop his throne. His groin is covered in peanut butter. He doesn't move, but his eyebrows knit in anger. And boy, they weren't kidding about the peanut butter. It's everywhere. This place needs to be pressure washed clean. Forget this mopping bucket shit. Like a kid with the keys to a candy store, Frankie launches himself at a nearby pillar and rubs his face all over it. He moves from surface to surface, slobbering in delight and babbling like the Looney Tunes Tasmanian devil, licking to his heart's content. Everyone runs away screaming. In the right circumstance, this would be downright funny. But when I hear the sound of Frankie's skull crack open from a firm droid's baton strike, I can't help but feel sad. His eyes roll back and he drops to the floor in a heap. At least he died doing what he loved. The entire room turns on me. A sudden blow to the back of my legs drop me to my knees and I'm tackled by a firm droid. It puts me in an iron grip chokehold, but doesn't press hard enough to put me to sleep. 
just enough to keep me uncomfortable. It turns my head to face the satin throne. Superbia's hard, disapproving gaze locks onto me as he makes his way down the dais, naked except for a dollop of PB on his junk. The furries stare hungrily at it. His golden skin shines in the firelight. I've never seen a more perfect specimen of masculinity. He exudes confidence. His very presence demands any and all attention. When he reaches me, my face is level with his dog treat. His sex appeal is such that I almost hope he asks me to clean it off despite being straight. The firm droid holding me tilts my head up so I'm looking into his face. To the pens, Superbia says. Then he backhands me across the face with enough force to send me unconscious. Six. I slowly stir awake. Something gently caresses my face. It's soothing. But just beyond that, I feel a growing ache in my head. The gentle motion of whoever's rubbing my face helps, like applying a healing salve. My eyes flutter open. A giant blue head sits nearby, smiling and licking me! What the fuck? I yelp, flinching. I slap the slimy orange tongue away, or try to. My arm feels heavy, and the effort makes my vision swim. All I manage to do is slide my hand into its mouth. It closes around it, tongue still sticking through and molesting my face. Its lips massage my wrist. It mumbles. I yank my hand away. Quit that! The head laughs, eyes rolling inward, drawing its tongue back into its mouth. Then it bounces away, moving to the other side of the room. Which... I soon come to realize is a cell. I'm right back where I started. God damn it. I'm malnourished, dehydrated, and injured. The moment I step foot into the arena, I'm as good as dead. A sob escapes me as the magnitude of my situation sinks in. I'm not leaving this place alive. Whatever hope I harbored of escape ends here, covered in alien saliva. My gut spasms. Something moved. The pain sends me into a thousand-yard stare. It feels like my insides are being wrung out. The suppository must be working as magic, but the leech is so damn big. The medicine is basically trying to perform a miracle. Whenever this thing tears out of me, I won't have to worry about dying on the arena floor. I'll already be lying here dead and split in two. Oh, the pain finally fades after an excruciating minute. I sit up, hold my head, and wait for my vision to settle. Once it does, I check my arm. I'm struck by a wave of dread. Mendax is no longer on my wrist! Despite my condition, I frantically pat myself up and down in search of the watch. No, no, no! I say. My eyes snap to the giant head staring at me from across the cell. Mendax must have slipped off my wrist when it slid into that thing's mouth! Shit! I rise and step forward on unsteady legs. Before I'm able to plant my third step, trumpets blare throughout the pens, shaking me to the core. 
It's followed by music vaguely reminiscent of the Mortal Kombat theme song. Once a brigade of firm droids take their post along the entire length of the pens, every cell door unlocks and opens. The music comes to a dramatic pause, and a digital voice announces, King of the Mountain. My heart sinks as the beat returns. If it means what I think it does, then I'm being thrown into a fucking free-for-all. Why did it have to be something I hated playing as a kid? I've seen what the things in here look like. I can easily imagine what they can do. Some of them aren't even people. They're monsters. Hundreds of them. And I don't mean like this weird-looking head. There are cells holding dinosaur proportions of certain death inside them. I could easily be stepped on or eaten, then cut in half. And I'm supposed to hold high ground against them? My possible deaths are way too many to count, and I'm not okay with that. But what can I do? First, I have to get Mendax out of that big head's... stomach? Mouth? I don't really know how it works, but he's somewhere inside there, and that ain't gonna do. With desperate, crazy eyes of my own, I lunge at the head before it gets a chance to bounce away from me. Give me back my watch, you fucker! I say. The head bitch slaps me out of the way with its massive orange tongue, knocking me over. It bounces out of the cell, chuffing with laughter. Bastard! I shout after him, rising, only to be brought back down to my knees by another twisting bout of cramps. I grasp my stomach with trembling hands, instantly breaking into a sweat. I imagine the leech having gorged itself on me for so long now, it's like trying to squeeze a cinder block through a nostril. My intestines will never be the same. Once the pain is bearable, I stagger my way out of the cell. I have to stop that blue head. Despite being kind of an asshole, Mendax has saved me more than once. I owe it to him to return the favor, even if his motives were fueled by self-preservation. Down the corridor, the head and a group of contestants are being corralled by firm droids to the arena floor. I keep to the wall as two great shelled beasts like punk rock Godzillas stomp past. My teeth vibrate with each of their footsteps. A group of tiny-legged metal piranhas soon follow, leaving me behind with the realization that I'm never going to catch up in time. Wait! I say. Stop that head! He's got my- I'm struck behind the head by an unknown assailant and momentarily stunned. I trip and fall into the doorway of another cell, banging my elbow along the frame. Hurts like a son of a bitch! So much that the pain simply leaves me reeling, unable to function. Once able, I look up through blurred vision at the firm droid who clobbered me. Save it for the arena, it says. Sort of giving everyone an unfair advantage by softening me up, don't you think? I say. It kicks me in the ribs. I wince, gasping for breath. Ugh, what the fuck, man? Figuring he's had enough of me, the firm droid's posture straightens and it moves on, leaving me on the floor to writhe in agony. I can't hold back any longer. I've been undone. This is the end. I'm fucked. And so I lie here on the floor cradling myself in the fetal position and cry. Might as well get it out while you can, eh? It's okay. I won't tell anyone. 
With a groan, I rise to a sitting position, seeking the voice from inside the cell. Part of me hopes I've found Mendax, but the tone doesn't match. Kind of sounds like a little girl. What I find is a dwarf, clearly male, lying prone and unmoving on the floor. Dead? Asleep, maybe. Could be a sleep talker. It's not unheard of. The problem is, from this distance, I don't see his chest rising and falling to signify he's breathing. If he doesn't get up for King of the Mountain, God knows what they'll do with him. You okay, man? I say. You don't look so good. I've been better. I could swear it's talking to me with a little girl's voice. But despite hearing it, the body doesn't move. I cautiously crawl over on my hands and knees to the prone dwarf. Do you need help? I ask. When he doesn't respond, I poke his shoulder. When that doesn't work, I gently shift his head around to get a better look at his face. He's dead all right. Eyes have that glassy sheen over them. I knew that little girl's voice couldn't have belonged to him. So that means someone else is in here with me. Where I found a corpse. Oh boy. I'm going to need you to stay still. Before I can get a word out, purple silly string shoots out of the dwarf's ear and latches onto mine. For a horrifying moment, we're attached by the ears. I try pulling it off, but it's stretchy and flexible. What the fuck? I scream with equal parts fear and disgust. The purple string lets go of the dwarf's ear and whips towards my head like an elastic band. The impact snaps my head sideways, nearly knocking me over. I feel a burrow into my ear. I scream and reach to stop it, but it's already gone. Something just crawled into my head. I stand and thrash around, panic on full display. It's done, the voice says. You can stop panicking now. Where are you? What the fuck was that? I say. Of its own volition, my hand rises into empty space in front of me, becoming level with my face. My index and middle finger tingle, then elongate and morph into purple eye stalks. The center of my palm cracks open and smiles. Hello. It says, my eye twitches, a slow building horror rising within me. My mouth opens for a scream, but my hand turns purple and stretches around my head like a belt, cutting off the sound. It's okay. I get that a lot. I'll be happy to let you go once you settle down. I try prying it off my face with my other hand. Then it turns purple too, until my entire arm feels like it's no longer my own. It deflates and sags to the floor, then starts wrapping and constricting around me like a snake. I lay on my side and wiggle against myself. When I finally grow too exhausted to struggle, the tip of my nose stretches into a face and addresses me. I was sort of hoping for something more impressive, but beggars can't be choosers. You should take it easy. This body is under a lot of stress. No fucking shit, I say. I have an alien parasite making putty out of me. I don't see the problem. I'm making you better. How's that exactly? Now that we're together, I can help you survive. Really? Is that why this corpse next to me is brimming with life? 
The moral of that story is, it's never a good idea to cross me. It says, slowly drawing its face back into the shape of my nose. Well, that's unnerving. Apparently he's got no qualms about cutting ties and moving on to a new host. But that bit about surviving is an idea I can get behind, regardless of how terrifying the situation is. So I cling to that lifeline. You say you can help me? I say, I don't know if you've heard, but there's a battle royale featuring a menagerie of horrors about to begin. The future looks grim. No sweat. It says, sensing my budding acceptance and loosening its grip on me. Two purple spikes sprout from my chest and lift me to my feet. My arm slowly unravels and gives my body back its original form. Okay, that was kinda cool, I admit. A pair of eyes emerge from my left shoulder, double-tapping comical purple eyebrows. I feel a tingle on my neck as a mouth forms and hear it whisper into my ear. Thanks. Yeah, that's not gonna be the least bit creepy. I say, suppressing a shiver. A firm droid stops at the cell door and points at me. Failure to comply will be met with fatal consequences. I get it. I'm coming. I was only checking on this guy. I nudge the dead dwarf with my foot. I don't bother mentioning the parasite, who's retracted back into my flesh. The firm droid enters the cell. It kneels by the dwarf, checking for vitals. A holographic screen projects above its forearm, displaying a flat pulse. As expected, no signs of life. It rises, gripping the back of the dwarf's collar in one hand. With the other, it shoves me forward. I get the message and comply. I'm Jack. You got a name? I ask the parasite, ducking back into line with the others. Something like an oversized red Lorax overhears me and grimaces. Tick! She says through lips forming on my neck. When do we get to kill people? I'm bored. Oh, what about this one? Can we kill this one first? I like his mustache. Jumbo Lorax whips his head and gives me a hard stare. I avert my eyes and walk a little faster, which suddenly strikes me as odd. Minutes earlier, I felt like I was on my deathbed. Where did this sudden strength come from? I still feel tired. A new reserve of energy has risen within me. Could Tick be the reason for this? That's weird, I say. What is? She asks. I feel, I don't know, renewed? Not five minutes ago, I wasn't sure I'd make it to the gates. Well, duh, we're part of each other now. You know, the whole shooting into people's ears and taking over their bodies, it's kind of fucked up. Why would it be? She says this with actual childlike innocence. You're assuming control over people without permission, I say. What if they don't want that? Hmm, I guess I don't really think about it. This is who I am. I can't survive without a symbiotic relationship, and I don't want to die, so... Put like that, I can see where you're coming from. Life's fucked up. Nobody has to be here, and each of us are forced to play a predetermined role. It's just... Losing control of myself is terrifying. We're coming up on the gate. A firm droid is controlling the flow of the crowd, instructing us on whether to go left or right. It looks like we're being spread out across each of the gates surrounding the arena floor. I can hear the crowd cheering outside. I'm herded to the right, 
Arrows of light streak along the stone floors, guiding our way. If you're happy with me, I can just kill you now and find a different host. She says this the way you tell your friend it's no big deal. No! I say, louder than I mean to. I draw more glares from those around me. No, it's fine, really. I've made my peace with it. I was good as dead back there anyway. Taking stock of the competition around me? Maybe that would have been a good thing. No. I give myself another mental tap on the wrist. Owie! If I'm gonna survive this, I can't think that way. I need my head in the game. I have my very own psychotic symbiote now. I'll claw my way out of Godzilla's asshole in order to survive because this isn't the way I want to go out. Not to mention Mendax is still stuck in that big dumb head. If anything, I owe it to him to at least try. I might be his only hope. Ugh, I'm hit by another round of stomach cramps. I wince at the pain, but with the help of Tick's symbiotic bond, I'm able to tolerate it. I've been meaning to ask about the leech. Tick says. Does it have a name? I name it after my ex-fiance, but even it doesn't deserve that. I'm struck with a sudden thought and nearly stop in place. With your ability to alter my shape, do you think you could help me out with that? You want me to kill it? Ugh, I can't believe I'm asking this. But could you stretch out my butthole? I don't know. I kind of like it. I think I'll keep it as a pet. Oh, I know. I'll name it Butt Munch. What? No! It's literally feeding off me. I can't let it get any bigger. Aww. But... Oh, oh, he's fine. But if we can't keep it forever, then I'm keeping it a while longer. Just tell him where to get before organ failure sets in. Isn't that right, my little butt munch? I want to fall to my knees and scream, Why me? It should have been a walrus! While shaking my fists at the sky, I arrive at my designated entry point. The black metal gate is tall, wide, and imposing, like it's been pulled straight out of Mordor, a final reminder of our doom. I sigh. This sucks. An alarm chimes, and a digital voice announces, Participants, prepare yourselves. This is it. Taking stock of the competition around me, I'm fully aware I might not live to see tomorrow. In fact, it's the most probable outcome, but there's no way I'm going to make this easy for them. I remind myself that although I'm full of anxiety, I'm still no pushover. Besides, I don't have to engage. I just need to survive. Let them fight each other and focus on keeping my head on my shoulders long enough to locate that big blue head. A buzzer rings. The digital voice begins a countdown. Combatants in 10... Nine. Eight. I take a deep breath, heart racing. All right, Tick. I hope your psycho ass can walk the talk. My hands tingle. My fingers turn purple, growing into long, wicked claws. I marvel at the badassery. In a happy little girl voice from the lips on my neck, she says, We will bathe in the blood of our enemies. Three. Two. One. White light glows beneath me. When the digital voice ends with Engage, the entire floor erupts with a flash, sending us away.
7. I open my eyes to awe-inspiring wonder. In front of me stands an actual mountain peak. Dozens of other combatants and I are grouped together atop a massive stone platform. We're bathed in rays of golden light as it passes through grand structures. Romanesque architecture lines the path to the peak under an ethereal blue sky. I see other identical platforms surrounding the perimeter too. An ocean of white clouds that disappear into the horizon spans below us. If it weren't for the statues of Superbia erected everywhere, this is what I'd imagine Mount Olympus might look like. What I don't understand is, how did we all get here? I've seen the Colosseum from the inside, I say. It's big, but not this big. Tick blinks two extra eyes into existence onto my forehead and looks around. I can't see them, but I can sense their presence somehow. The same way people can feel phantom limbs, I bet. Sure doesn't look like the Colosseum, she says. We're way up in the sky. I can tell she's as surprised as I am when I feel her eyelids snap open when we're suddenly both proven wrong. The air shimmers in the empty space around the mountain, revealing a stadium full of people, shouting, cheering, and eagerly awaiting the show. The same digital voice chimes in from the sky like a disembodied god. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to King of the Mountain. Participants, the goal is to battle your way to the top, defeat the king, and become the last one standing. Now, a word from our sponsor. The crowd cheers as a giant holographic anime image of Superbia's golden armored face appears in the sky. He's got two happy upward eyebrows for eyes. When he addresses the crowd, a digital sound wave ripples along his mouth. His voice is confident, full of celebration. Adoring fans, admirers, dare I say, worshippers, you are here to witness history in the making. For today will forever be remembered as the single greatest event to ever transpire during the long life of this Colosseum. The crowd loses their collective minds. As always, the contest is open to any and all challengers. Come, stand among the entirety of my gladiators and fight your way to the top. Claim victory and you know fame and glory beyond your wildest dreams. Another cheer, and Superbia pauses to allow anyone the chance to come forward. Many do, which doesn't help my chances in the slightest. <laughs> I knew I was kidding myself, but I sort of hope no one would be crazy enough to join. Yet here they come, randomly teleporting in and around the arena. Crazy, all of them. And crazy means trouble. A tiny mouth forms on my chin. Lamps to the slaughter. I can't wait to paint the world with their blood, Tick says. Any other time, that would disturb me greatly, I say. But maybe let's keep that energy going if it'll help us stay alive. Superbia speaks once more as the final challenger enters the arena. Two sinister eyebrows light up above his once welcoming eyes. You have my thanks for sacrificing your lives. Today, my adoring fans, you will witness my reputation elevate to legendary status. 
face me! Oh, who dare? A thunderous clap echoes over the mountaintop as Superbia's image disappears. The sky shimmers and the stadium full of people fade into the endless sky, the sound of their cheers dying on the wind. I don't understand how any of this is possible. I'm not going to think about it. Just need to focus on staying alive. With Tick turning me into some comic book horror, I might actually make it off this first platform. A loud beastly huff of air exhales some distance away from me. I take stock of the massive fuzzy beast straight out of a Dr. Seuss nightmare. It sways back and forth on two long legs and freakishly long arms. Its round head is all eyes and mouth, showcasing rows of jagged teeth capable of shredding me to bits. When it begins, I will eat your head, it says. I gulp. Then, like a purple serpent, my entire crotch snakes out of my pants of its own accord and stretches towards the monster, morphing into a fist that flips it the bird. The Susian nightmare aggressively growls and chomps its jaws together in response. It strikes me as odd how aliens would know that the middle finger is a sign of disrespect. As my meter-long purple penis snuggles its way back into my pants, a gong is rung, signifying what I assume means it's time to get my ass in gear. Speaking of which, my gut spasms with cramps. Damn you, butt munch. If it weren't for Tick augmenting my body, I'd be cut in half screaming in agony. Feels like trying to pinch a bowling ball through a pinhole. There's no question about it. Without her intervention, the leech will kill me on its way out. The Susian nightmare closes the distance between us with a massive leap of its hyperextended limbs. My instincts warn me to run, to jump aside and scramble away, but my legs are locked in place against my will. Tick's forcing me into a showdown with this monster. What are you doing? I say, struggling without success. If we have to go up, it's going to be straight through him. Tick says. Before I have time to say anything else, my legs morph and twist into purple coiled springs, which launch and send me hurtling through the air towards the beast. I'm going so fast that when my face starts to peel away, I think it's because of the speed. Except I continue to impossibly roll back into myself and realize Tick's doing her thing again, compressing me into a sphere. Panic rises as my head is swallowed into my body then replaced by confusion as I feel a wet plop like a water balloon's been thrown at me. I'm released from my shape in time to witness myself soon to be splattered against the mountainside. I squeeze my eyes shut and brace myself for impact, except eight tentacles extend from my back, reaching ahead and bracing against the mountain to ease my approach. I reach the wall feeling like Dr. Octopus as Tick holds me up in midair. The parts of me that were exposed during flight are covered in green ooze. I look down to where I launched from, locating the monster. A hole's been punched through its face! Holy shit! I say, horrified but still impressed. You really weren't kidding! One of the tentacles comes forward, sprouting eye stalks and a mouth. Oh yeah! That's what I'm talking about! Do you see that? Tick says, like a kid at an amusement park. I think you had my head up my ass, I say, 
deciding not to mention how her joy of gore scares me. Without warning, I'm struck by a boulder from my left and sent crashing into a statue of Superbia on a platform above. I'm sandwiched between stone and flattened like a pancake before being buried by debris. My body might be different now, able to withstand punishment normally capable of killing a person, but that still hurt like hell. I should be crippled for life after that. I groan in pain, covered in rocks. Fuck! Then I scream in agony as my gut spasms. Turns out the leech inside me doesn't share my flexibility. The impact likely hurt it more than it did me. And it ain't happy. I need to make Tick get rid of it. It's gone on long enough. Alright, I say. Butt Munch has gotta go. The tentacles on my back shift the stones pinning me down, allowing me to rise. I stand, clutching my stomach, doing my best to stay out of my attacker's sight. We can't just leave it here. Tick says from one of the tentacles. He'll get squished! Before I'm able to put my foot down, not that it would likely do me any good, another boulder smashes into the cliff wall behind me. Whatever's down there must be huge in order to throw something that big with such force. I'm too afraid to peek my head over the stone I'm crouched behind for fear of it being taken off. But Tick's not. Her tentacle head pokes out above our shelter. She dodges the next projectile with ease, studying the battlefield. He's big, she says. What is it? I ask. I don't know. I never seen one before. What does it look like? Another boulder flies past me, slamming into the mountainside. Tick doesn't flinch. There's no time to explain. Why not? Because it's here. At that moment, a four-armed, white-haired gorilla the size of a dump truck lands in front of me. The stone floor cracks beneath its weight. The tremor rattles my every bone. It looks like King Kong and Goro from Mortal Kombat had a love child. It turns on me, howling with primal rage. This is how I die. In the footprint of Kong Goro. It picks up a boulder in each of his four hands, then howls one more time before bringing them down to pulverize me. Four tentacles lash out with lightning speed and sever each one of Kongoro's arms at the elbow, sending them flying to the sides. None of the boulders hit me as they crash down. My knees go weak with relief. Tick saves me yet again. Blue blood sprays from freshly opened wounds as Kongoro arches backwards with an agonized cry of pain and rage. I jump away in time to avoid a surprise headbutt. It's using his forehead to try and crush me. Tick's tentacles slash its face as I dive away, landing with a thud and then scrambling to my feet. Kongoro brings its massive forehead down a second time to end me. But both my arms lash out and morph into pointed blades that pierce its skull. I realize I've been screaming this whole time and quiet myself. A slack-jawed Kongoro stares down at me with dead, upturned eyes. Blood pours from his wounds and drips down, covering me. Ugh, I say, disgusted. Tick tosses the corpse aside. My arms go back to normal. That was awesome! She says from newly formed lips on my neck. Ugh, this isn't the kind of bloodbath I had in mind, I say. But that was pretty awesome. Two eye stalks sprout from my forehead. They look in all directions excitedly. Look at them all! 
Now that nothing's trying to kill me, I take in the carnage all around. Combatants climb and fight their way to the top. Corpses litter the stairways carved into the mountainside as enormous monstrosities wail on each other in their ascent. It's both awe-inspiring and terrifying, even with Tick's abilities. Am I capable of defeating all of this? I suppose I could play the long game, let them fight each other until there's only a handful left. But by that time, I'll be facing the fiercest the competition has to offer. And some of these guys make Kongoro look like an action figure. Of course, none of that takes into account Tick's love of dismemberment. I might not have a choice but to fight. Tick's eye stalks stiffen, focusing on something off in the distance. That one! The sudden hunger in her voice gives me chills. Her whispers into my ear never stop being creepy. I literally have a bloodthirsty kid uttering their darkest desires to me, and I'm completely defenseless to stop her from acting them out. She might be bailing me out of this situation by defending me right now, but she has complete control of my body. If we survive this, what's to say the killing stops here? Will I ever be able to risk going out in public again? Would I even be able to stop it from happening? The implications begin to make me panic. My life will never be the same again. Your heart rate has increased, she says, still locked onto her target. Can you blame me? This is crazy. I know, it's so fun. If I had a heart, it would be going crazy too. What's got your attention? Suddenly, my vision distorts as Tick manipulates the shape of my eyes, extending them until I have telescopic vision. I touch my face. Two telescopes have grown out of it. The shift in perspective makes me feel queasy, but Tick helps me focus on her target. What I see doesn't help with a sick feeling in my stomach. You want to attack? That, I say. I stare in abject terror at the eldritch horror wreaking devastation on the battlefield around it. It's impossible to describe. Like my mind can't make sense of its incomprehensible nature. It's maddening to the point that I want to kill myself for knowing it exists. And there's no missing its eye. As I look at the monster, it looks back at me in return. It wants me to know it sees me. All of me. Every flaw, regret, sorrow, and shame. It makes me tremble to look upon. Like it permeates a supernatural aura of fear to whoever lays eyes on it. I want to look away, but Tick holds me in place. Please, I say, pleading, no more. Whatever spell this creature has on me, it doesn't appear to affect Tick. Where I'm compelled to look away, she craves to close the distance, like the effect has drawn in something primal within her. I want it, she says. How can you stand to look at it? It's a good trick. I involuntarily take a step forward, which on a personal level is as equally a mindfuck. What do you mean? What are we even looking at? What it wants you to see. How do you know that? Because it killed my brother. Before I have time to process this, my legs, which I'm positive are purple beneath my clothes, take off in an unnaturally fast sprint up the path. It throws me off balance, making my upper body look like it's trying to catch up with my legs like straight out of a cartoon. I sense a change in her. The psychopath on a joyride has been replaced by something primal. 
Fun, replaced by hunger. I'm not sure which version of her I'm more afraid of. My body becomes a purple force of nature, slicing, dicing, and smashing a path of death through anything and anyone that dare come between her and the Lovecraftian horror. I feel like a passenger in my own body, experiencing the most realistic VR sim imaginable. All the heart-stopping visuals, without the control. It would be awesome if it wasn't actually real. This is just terrifying! Thank God Tick is good at what she does. It's unreal how lethal she is. I fight against an incredible urge to self-harm whenever I catch sight of the monster with its unspeakable eye always looking back. It's a good thing Tick's in control, because I'd likely throw myself off a cliff in a fit of madness like the other challengers are doing. Only Tick is unfazed. Could she already be drunk on her own type of insanity? We sprint up the arm of a 30-foot giant after dodging its blow. My right hand becomes a blade and leaves a trailing gash straight to the top. The giant's roar of pain and anger is cut short when my body becomes a ninja star and severs his head. We land on his shoulder and keep sprinting up his other arm as he falls down the cliffside. When we reach the massive fingertip, my legs become springs and they launch us towards Tick's prey. I'm positive my mind is about to shatter against the sheer inconceivable nature of this being. I scream with mind-bending horror as the gap between us shrinks. I make a move to gouge out my eyes. Instead, my arms are yanked forward, putting me into a Superman pose. Kill me! I scream. I'm unraveling. My throat feels like it's tearing itself to shreds from the wailings of my inconsolable despair. The eye never looks away, never blinks, simply stares, driving me to insanity. My vision begins to fade around the edges. My scream sounds like I'm hearing it through a tunnel. And just before I slam into Lovecraft's wet dream, I black out. When I come to, I'm standing over a small alien on a balcony built high into the mountain. I can hear ghostly cheers on the wind. It all happened in the blink of an eye. One second I'm screaming through the sky, and then I'm standing over what looks like an infant-sized ladybug with a baby's face. My needle-shaped legs have pierced its arms, pinning it to the ground. It scrunches its face up as if preparing to cry. What the fuck? I say, unsure of how to process this information. I'm impaling a baby! Tick uses my hand to rip the top of my coveralls off. When I see what's become of my stomach, I gasp in shock. <gasps> oh my god! My torso is purple and has grown a single eye and a wide mouth with rows of jagged teeth. It stares down at the bug baby with a scowl, growling. My stomach is literally growling. Remember me? My stomach says. Get off me! Bug baby says. My name is Tick. You killed my brother! <laughs> I will make your father drown your mother in her own shit! Bug Baby cries and squirms, struggling to escape. Tick's eye squints. Prepare to die! With control of my arm, she reaches down and plucks the creature from the ground. Its pinned arms tear off with a wet rip. It cries as it's placed into the gaping mouth on my stomach. Tick crunches down hard, ending its frightened cry. What happened? 
I say, confused. Where's the Eldritch Horror? That thing made me want to kill myself. Well, if it isn't obvious... Tick says, happily munching on a mouthful of Bug Baby. I'm chewing on it. The weird baby? That was it? No, there's no way. It was the scariest, most mind-bending thing I've ever seen. What you're eating now used to be attached to these chubby little baby arms on the ground. She spits the chewed-up remains on the ground. That's what it wanted you to see, she says. And it's not a baby. They look that way to make you spare them. My brother is dead because of it. You knew this thing from before, I say, putting the pieces together. This was personal to you. But how did it manage to kill your brother? Whatever spell I was under didn't seem to affect you. But it did. It was really spooky. It made me want to hurt myself. If I hadn't been so mad at it, I might have listened. But I was determined to avenge my brother's death. What are the odds we'd run into it here? How could something with that ability be kept prisoner? Definitely a willing contestant. Superbia's personal challenges bring weirdos from everywhere. People love get-rich-quick schemes. Thing is, nobody's ever succeeded. Superbia is undefeated. I look up at a nearby statue of him. How could anyone be so powerful? Think we can lose the face on my stomach? I say, it's disturbing. In response, my entire body returns to normal. My cramps return and I clutch my stomach. I wish he'd at least help with the discomfort. Two eye stalks grow from my forehead and look upward. I feel a mouth form on my neck behind my ear. We're almost there. I look up, feeling a sense of dread. The man's undefeated. How can we expect to win? Think you can take him? I ask. I don't know. She says. But it'll be so cool if we do. We'll get parades and parties with lots of snacks. And I'll probably be allowed to murder whoever I want. I get your excitement. But if we survive this, you can't just go around killing willy-nilly. We have to set boundaries or else this isn't going to work. I gulp and hope my attempt to assert a level of control over our situation doesn't land me in her last host condition. Oh, you're just like my brother. She says. He was always rambling on about discipline this, self-control that, and the importance of blending in. But I can't help that I'm addicted to the way the light fades from people's eyes as they die. It's like... She raises my fingers to her mouth and gives a chef's kiss. I decide to cling to her late brother's philosophy. Now that you've satisfied yourself and avenged his death, don't you feel the best way to honor him would be to live by his example? He obviously cared about your continued survival. My neck vibrates with the sound of her, Hmm, as she ponders my words. Come on, Tick. I could really use a win here. Nah, she says. But, I say, My brother was dumb. That's a stupid way to live. I feel the familiar sensation of my legs morphing into springs. No, wait! I begin, but my words are cut off by the quick rush of air filling my mouth as we take off towards the mountain peak. To where, regardless of the outcome, I'm fucked. Eight. Superbia is a whirlwind of showmanship and destruction, leaving each challenger to fall at his feet. 
often in pieces. He dazzles the crowd like a ringmaster taming lions who surround the mountaintop through floating windows in the sky. They cheer and chant his name with each of his victories, which is basically on loop since he's carving up Christmas dinner in there. I don't understand how any of this is possible. My best guess is we're in a pocket dimension. It's freaking incredible. I wonder what it looks like from the audience perspective. They have to be viewing this from inside the Colosseum. The mountaintop is exactly what I thought it'd be, an open throne room. The massive plateau is surrounded by pillars and statues that lead to an enormous throne seating a colossal sized replica of Superbia. It looks like a shrine dedicated to himself. One that is getting completely demolished, mind you. But I bet it's gotta be a hell of a sight to see when untouched. I pity the guys on cleanup duty. I hang back and watch the chaos below unfold. Fortunately for me, Tit came to her senses and followed my advice for a change. Despite her bloodlust, if we're gonna win this, we have to let the competition whittle itself down first. With Superbia doing all the heavy lifting, there's no point wasting energy fighting anyone he's going to turn into confetti anyway. We need every advantage we can get, no matter how small. And so here I am, my body morphed to resemble the missing left half of a statue. Our faces peek out from the side. As long as nobody questions why this statue's purple, we should be able to wait until the time is right. Can we kill now? Tick asks. Not until we're the last challengers, I say. This is so boring. I can live with boring. I feel a swish of air as stones from a broken pillar sails past us. That would have hurt if it hadn't missed. Superbia is too dangerous, I say. I don't doubt you'd be fearsome in there, but he barely looks like he's trying. If we're to succeed, you can't afford to have your attention split. He's no joke. For the first time, I sense hesitation in her. Good. It means she's taking this seriously. The death count rises. Literal hills of discarded corpses litter the plateau. I hadn't considered just how many combatants entered the arena. The pens were fully loaded. Unfortunately, the giant head who swiped Mendax off my wrist never turned up. I hoped I wouldn't have to search the mountainside for its corpse. The only way to rescue Mendax now is to survive and win. Gross. Tick says. What? I ask. I can't sense your panic setting in. We look like a sweaty statue. She's right. I can hear my pulse pounding in my ears. I've been so focused on searching for a weakness in Superbia's defense, I hadn't noticed I'd begun to sweat. Likely because there's no weakness to speak of. He's unbeatable. If there's a chink in his armor, I can't find it. I'm fine, but if you'd pay attention and help me figure out a strategy, that would be great, I say. That's easy. We just kill him, she says. <sighs> Your lack of concern for the fight ahead is frightening. Look at the hills of bodies down there. I can do that too. Okay, but so can he. And regardless of how good you are, he's also that good. Probably has a lot more experience doing it too. Do you want to end up like your brother? The statue's hand comes down and slaps me on the face. Ow! I curse. You're really starting to annoy me. Tick says, 
I wish I'd killed you back in that cell. You're no fun! The coldness of her statement sends a chill through me. She laughs. Oh, did that scare you? Does the idea of ending up like my previous host sound terrifying? I clench my jaw. Say nothing. It pisses me off being at her mercy. But there isn't a damn thing I can do about it. I have zero control over my own body. I can't do anything she doesn't want me to. I wonder, would death be worse than this? Two eyes and a mouth stretch around to face me. She must be feeling smug about her show of dominance, wanting to rub it in further. She opens her mouth, but says nothing. Her eyes look up sharply. She freezes. Uh-oh, that can't be good. What is it? I say. Before she can answer, a crushing force slams into my back, sending me hurtling to the arena floor where I revert back to my original shape and color. Chunks of stone from the other half of the statue pepper me. I groan, rolling over to face a threat. Fuck. Me. Sideways. It's the goddamn horse-faced robo-spider from the hangar! Of course this bastard was here to join the competition! It either took his time getting up here, or had the same idea we did and waited for his moment. Bearing a two-handed steam-powered battle hammer, the beast stands above the shattered statue like a futuristic Greek mythological monster. His eight metallic legs click loudly against stone as he descends to finish the job. His hairy-chested humanoid torso ripples with muscle, but it's the horse face that frightens me most. It's horrific. I scramble backwards on my feet, tripping over a corpse before getting back up. I take two steps back, never taking my eyes off Horseface, and bump into something solid. A strong hand grips my shoulder. I look back, already knowing and dreading what I'm about to see. A golden metal helmet opens to reveal Superbia's smiling, shining face. What do you know? He says. The human managed to survive after all. You should feel honored. This entire competition is all because of you. If you hadn't properly pissed me off for interrupting my harem, I never would have been inspired to kill everyone. He winks, then punches me hard enough in the face to send me hurtling through the air and smash into a pillar. I cry in pain as I'm crushed beneath more chunks of stone. My vision swirls. I struggle to clear the debris. Ugh, after all your complaining! I say, addressing Tick. What's with the stage fright all of a sudden? I'm studying my enemies, she says from a tiny mouth in my ear. Stop fucking with me! You're doing this on purpose! No, I'm not! She says like a petulant child. I stagger to standing. Then, in a blink of an eye, Superbia leaps and closes the distance between us. I'm set crashing through three more pillars after taking a dropkick to the chest. I lay crumpled in a heap of stone. Oh, he's gonna kill us both, I say, not bothering to stand. And you can forget about trying to inhabit Superbia if that's what you're planning. There's no way he'll fall for it. Ew, he's dumb, Tick says. And you're dumb. All right, I'm sorry for mentioning your brother. That was dumb. I promise to never use him against you again. And? And... 
you're a badass? And... Through blurred vision, I make out Superbia's approach. And uh, if we make it out of this alive, you can kill whoever the fuck you want! My body surges with strength and bursts up from the stones around me. Thank you! She says happily, sticking the landing like a boss. Superbia soccer kicks a boulder. Tick tilts us to the left, avoiding it with ease. Eight deadly tentacles grow from my back, the lower four lifting me to face the threat. An angry face full of sharp teeth appears, carved into my stomach. She screams at him with the fury of a toddler's tantrum. It's simultaneously thrilling and chilling. Playtime's over, bitch! Another kick and another boulder is sent rocketing toward us. Superbia performs a little twirl at the end, drawing a cheer from the crowd. I surrender myself to Tick. This is her area of expertise. Resisting could get us both killed, so I mentally strap myself in for a front row seat to the clash of killers. And possibly my death. This time, before the boulder is able to slam into us, Tick somersaults over it, latching on with each tentacle, increasing our mass to shift its momentum, and then swinging it up and around back towards its caster. Superbia bats it away like a speck of dust. Unperturbed, he walks forward with nonchalance, lazily clapping his hands together. He laughs and says, <laughs> I knew something was up when my punch didn't completely cross your face. You found a bit of help, it seems. Takes a cheater to spot a cheater, am I right? I say. Superbia's eyes flash with anger. His helmet snaps shut, and he kicks down hard enough to leave behind a small crater as he leaps forward to deliver a devastating Superman punch. Tick retaliates by mimicking his actions, propelling us forward to meet him head on. A giant purple fist connects with his armored punch. Amazingly, from what I can gauge, the power level between them are nearly equal. Tick really is impressive if she can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with this maniac. When Superbia realizes this, he changes tactics by rolling into our punch to deliver a brutal spinning elbow. It sends me crashing into one of the corpse hills. I hit with such force that I carve out a perfect silhouette of my body through the middle. I'm drenched in blood and guts. It burns my eyes and the cuts on my skin, which there are plenty of. I claw my way out of the corpses. Tick angrily chews on something. I sense the tentacles are gone. When I breach the hole, I'm immediately knocked hard to the ground from above. Superbia uses his foot to add pressure to the back of my neck, pressing my face into the dirt. For that, he says, grinding my face against broken stone with a twist of his foot. I will make this hurt. My body turns purple and completely inverts itself to face him. My face moves through my head until his foot is pressing on my throat, blocking my windpipe. I can't see his face, but his paws suggest surprise. Tick seizes the moment by grabbing his other leg and yanking his knee down into her mouth in my stomach. She bites down hard. There's a metallic crunch. Superbia shouts in pain. The crowd reacts with a collective gasp. He repeatedly punches me in the face in an effort to dislodge her. It feels like someone's operating a jackhammer over my head. But Tick's vice grip hold on his knee is locked in solid. She growls like a rabid animal, biting down harder the more he struggles. 
Superbia screams again. He quits punching me and tries a prior mouth open. With a colossal effort, he frees his leg, then rams his hand straight into her mouth. There's a glow, followed by searing pain. Superbia unleashes a plasma blast directly into my core. It feels like being cooked from the inside. I scream in agony. The pain's so intense, it's all consuming. I'm sure I'm gonna die. This is the moment. I am pain. And then I'm not. I blink away tears as my vision refocuses. The pressure in my core is gone. Superbia no longer stands above me. I hear the sounds of battle to my left and look over to find Horseface swinging around his hammer like a force of nature, keeping Superbia on the defensive. Thank God, I think, glad for the reprieve. It looks like Horseface decided to take the advantage and attack Superbia while he was distracted. Must have sent him flying with a blow from his hammer. Whatever happened, I'm glad for it. That could have been the end of me. As strong as Superbia is, he meets his match in Horseface 2. It quickly becomes obvious, this monster is a dedicated warrior. His spider legs maneuver him in and out of Superbia's range to avoid and deliver blows like he's been doing this his entire life. It's like witnessing a battle between titans. And the crowd is eating it up. They howl and cheer madly from the ring in the sky. Tick, I say, how are you holding up? The face on my stomach is crunched up in an expression of pain. She merely grunts in response. The blast must have done a number on her. I don't want to push you. That was rough. But it won't be long before one of them comes back to finish the job. She sniffs. That really hurt. I know. But you're doing so good. Did you see the damage you caused to his armor? No one else has been able to put a dent in him. Like the way I made him scream. That's a spirit, I say, concealing how disturbing that sounded. Like a parent encouraging a child, I need to reinforce her confidence, or else I'm fucked. You basically got him on the ropes. Look, he can't even move around as quick as he once did. You got this. I sense her renewed determination. We both huff with exertion as we rise to my feet. The battle rages on. Each of the hammer's blows land like thunder. I do not want to be the one on the receiving end of that. With his busted knee, Superbia's at a handicap, no longer able to power jump into strikes. But that doesn't stop him from being a force of his own. Ever the showman, he twists and twirls amid flurries of strikes, landing consecutive blows with a flourish before dodging the massive steam-powered hammer. Still, he isn't able to dodge everything and receives a share of blows from the metallic spider legs. Each of them receive as good as they give. Hopefully they'll ignore me until the last one standing is easy pickings. Unfortunately for me, Tick has different ideas. She screams, sprouting wickedly barbed tentacles from my back again. Wait, I say, there's no use. My entire body goes purple, a sign Tick has taken full control and doubles in size, changing me into a purple hulk. My stomach roars in challenge. Dick snack! And she charges the pair. I grip my teeth and hope for the best. Constantly pressured by relentless ground assault, Superbia escapes to the sky using his suit's rocket thrusters. 
Unfortunately for him, being distracted by Horseface, he never sees Tick coming. With powerful legs, she leaps into the air, cutting off Superbia's retreat, and with both hands, she hammer fists him back down to the ground. Horseface winds up for a horizontal blow of a steam-powered hammer and cracks Superbia like a professional baseball player aiming for a home run. The son of a bitch is hit so hard, he sends splattering through four corpse hills before smashing into the giant throne. The crowd goes wild! I can't help myself and cheer, hell yeah! Horseface turns on me, raising his hammer. Oh, fuck! He swings the weapon at us. Tick, despite our size, somersaults over it midair, landing in front of him. She follows up by slapping both her palms against his head and over his ears. Horseface rears back in pain as blood spurts from his burst eardrums. A metallic spider leg kicks out and connects with my chest, sending us tumbling back over corpse and stone. He charges us, frothing at the mouth, his face a mask of hate and rage. There's a bright flash. It happened so fast I didn't have time to shield my eyes. I blink, disoriented, hoping Tick's in better shape than I am. After an uncomfortably long time, my vision slowly returns, only to discover Horseface's head has been wiped from existence. What the fuck? I say, in shock. Superbia comes flying out of nowhere and begins pummeling the rest of Horseface to a pulp, dismembering and tearing him apart. He screams with rage throughout the process. When satisfied, he turns and comes my way. This is my legend! He growls. I stand. But something's wrong. The purple in my skin is fading away, and I feel myself shrinking. Uh, Tick? I say. You doing alright? I don't think now is the best time to let our guard down. Superbia fires a plasma blast from a raised hand. It hits me in my left shoulder, scorching my skin and sending me falling back. The pain is excruciating. I scream. Ah, oh, fuck! Superbia continues forward. This is for my knee. He takes aim at my right leg. I scream again as my knee is completely vaporized, severing the lower half of my lower leg clean off. From the fetal position, I clutch my stump and wail. I just had my fucking leg burnt off. There isn't even any blood to speak of, just a smell of grilled meat. I retch onto the ground, dry heaving. I think I'm in shock. Has Tick abandoned me? Help. I croak, pleading for Tick to do something. Nothing but radio silence. These fans, Superbia says, waving his arms at the ring of cheering onlookers above. They come here for me. He reaches me, and I receive a hard kick to the gut. It completely knocks the wind from me. But then, something inside of me shifts. My gut spasms. When my breath returns, I scream again. Superbia kicks me again and again. You will never be remembered. When this is over, you'll be nothing more than a smudge of stone. I will personally see to that. He shifts his stance and delivers a soccer kick to my face. It breaks my nose. Blood gushes out. The pain is so intense. I feel like I'm going to faint. He grabs me by the throat and lifts me off the ground. 
I hang limp in his grip as he chokes me. I'm too weak to fight back. The audience must sense the end, because the volume reaches new heights. Superbia's helmet retracts, revealing his golden face. He glares at me, like a school bully seeking revenge for being embarrassed in front of the class. He pulls his other fist back, preparing to knock my head clean off. I guess this is it. I close my eyes. Then, I'm dropped to the ground. What's the meaning of this? I hear Superbia say. I cough and gasp for breath. When I look up, Superbia stands frozen in place, one hand out as if choking someone, with the other pulled back prepared to punch. He swivels his head back and forth, eyes wild and angry, the only thing he's able to control. His armored suit is fucked! Puppy! He cries. My suit isn't responding! Puppy! Puppy! Answer me, you fucking bitch! I can't believe it. He can't move. This is my chance. I just need to push through the pain, get up, and ram a fucking femur through his face. I'm so weak. My battered body trembles with the slightest effort. But the abuse, the loss of my leg, the repeated violations of my body, it's enough to make a man lose his damn mind. So I ride the waves of adrenaline through the pain, determined to end this motherfucker. Superbia continues to berate his assistant over the malfunction, but his eyes never leave me. He grow increasingly concerned when he watches me rise with a jagged bone held between my teeth and using a giant crab leg as a crutch. No! Technical draw! Someone call a technical draw, damn you! He's chasing! This is not the way it's meant to end! He says, eyes wide with fear. I take a step forward, then drop to my hands and remaining knee. I scream as my stomach experiences the worst spasm to date. It's time! It's coming! And it couldn't be happening at the worst possible moment! The leech in my ass is on its way out whether I like it or not. With how big it's gotten, there's no way I'm gonna survive this! I was counting on Tick to stretch my asshole. I don't think I'm gonna even have an ass left by the end of this. Just a gaping hole where it used to be. All hole, no ass. Of course, that's how I'm gonna die. Superbia looks on with a mixture of confusion and fear. The crowd goes silent. Only the sound of my tortured cries can be heard echoing over the mountain. My anus winks open from the immense strain. Then I hear a voice. You got this, Jack. The shock of hearing someone so close behind me causes my anus to wink shut. My first thought is to look back and see who's there, but my body is so tense from the straining, it's like I'm locked in a birthing position. Any second now, my eyes are bound to pop out of my head. My stomach cramps, and my anus winks open once more. Come on, Jack. Just one more big push. I'm almost out. The voice says again. I'm almost out? Is that the leash speaking to me? Has it grown so big it's developed the ability to talk? Am I having an actual baby? Then it hits me. It's Tick. She's inhabiting the goddamn leech. That's why I've been getting the ever-living shit beat out of me. When she detached herself from me, the protective benefits left with her. I feel betrayed. 
Had Superbia's armor not malfunctioned? Was she gonna leave me to die? The question will have to wait. It's just about there. With the last of my energy still screaming, I brace for whatever happens next and push. Just when I believe I have no more to give, I feel a massive weight shoot out of my ass, ripping a hole through my pants. I exhale a huge groan and collapse onto my stomach, breathing heavily from the exertion. Several little purple tentacles walk into my field of view. A small hand pats my head. Nice work, partner, Tick says, now a black and purple leech the size of a watermelon. Now leave the rest to me. I don't argue. I'm done. I couldn't stop her even if I tried. So I lay here with my giant gaping asshole and give up. Tick slowly makes her way to Superbia, who's still locked in place inside his inert power armor, still shouting for Poppy to bail him out. She extends her arms, purple claws morphing into existence, and looks ready to pounce. Get away! Superbia screeches, his golden face a mask of fear. The contest is over! Stay back! Rose face judgment! Tick's face opens wide to reveal rings of sharp teeth extending down to her throat. Superbia screams his very last as she leaps up and bites his head clean off. The crowd erupts in mania. In the final moments before losing consciousness, I look up into the audience and lock eyes with Poppy. She stands by an exit door, looking smug. Then, with two fingers, she holds out something familiar for me to see. A wristwatch! Mendax! I shout in my mind. But how? Just when I thought things couldn't get any weirder, Poppy's corgi-shaped body transforms to reveal a frog person. Her clothes are included in the transformation changing from business attire to dark leathers. She shoots me a wicked grin, then pockets the watch and leaves. My last thoughts before passing out are of Mendax, and how sorry I am to have failed him. Thank you for listening to part two of the Full Cast Dominion audiobook, featuring the voices of Eurasian Rob as Mendax, M.K. Hewitt as Poppy Vince Serrazzo as Frankie Shannon Velasco as Doodle Raquel Hayes as Tick Corey Kolf as Superbia and finally me, Nemo, the author, as Jack Stay tuned for part 3 coming this August Follow me on Twitter for more news at alias Nemo A-L-I-U-S I'm also on Instagram by the same name.